Hello and welcome to this, the 27th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And uh, what a crazy few weeks it's been for us here at Rise. It's been busy, busy, busy. I personally have been pulling 16, 17, 18 hour days for the last couple of weeks um, between rehearsals for The House at the Abbey um, by Tom Murphy and also through getting this international tour of Fight Night up and running with the phenomenal Michael Shee and I have to say um, the work that that guy has put into making this show uh, the best it can be has just been phenomenal um, the guy is doing amazing things with it it's been an absolute pleasure to be in the room with them as we're uh, as we're kind of remounting and restaging this show that is obviously very close and dear to my heart um, and he's just doing amazing work with it like he's doing stuff that is infinitely funnier than I ever did with it um, obviously his boxing and fighting credentials are far superior to well not only to me but to any actor on the island so there's just a kind of a steely determination in a lot of the stuff he's doing which is really quite chilling and terrifying it's um, you know it's a very different show it's broadly within the same vibe of what we were doing but it's uh, it's a very different performance so it's a very different show and it's it's really great I've been pleasantly stunned and, and blown away by a lot of the work he's putting into it so I'm, I'm really proud of the show we're going to be taking over to Glasgow next week um, I think the uh, the good folks over there are in for a treat so if you find yourself over in Glasgow next week or indeed if you know anybody over there uh, rally the troops send them on down to the Tron um, I think they're in for a, a really special night now look as ever we are uh, bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge but we are looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre and not just Rise Production shows if you happen to be in Glasgow but we're looking for you to get out there and support Irish theatre generally. What is the best way to do that? Go and buy yourself some tickets. Make a resolution this weekend. Maybe don't go out for a few pints. Go out to the theatre. Or hey, better still, go to the theatre and then go out for a few pints afterwards. You'll have a great evening for yourself. Um, you know, if tickets are a bit beyond you though this week, maybe go and check out one of the theatre projects uh, sourcing funding over on fund.ie. Uh, of course, we'd particularly invite you to go over and look at what Devious Theatre Company are doing over there with their forthcoming production of Night of the Living Dead, which we feel here at Rise is going to be something pretty special that they're putting on down in Kilkenny. But of course, there are ways you can support the podcast without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people just about this podcast. The more you spread the word about us, the more we can spread the word about Irish theatre. So they maybe retweet the link on Twitter, share it as a Facebook post, whatever way you want to go about doing that. Hey, even tell someone in person, maybe, if you still have real friends. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. If you're out and about, you can stream it from fightnight.ie or you can also access it on radiomade.ie. You can go back and listen to all our other episodes on iTunes. Leave us a review over there on iTunes or simply click to rate us on their five-star series system. I know I bang on about this every week, but we can't stress this one enough. It does a huge amount to help our chart position over there. And again, like spreading the word, the higher our chart position is, the more um, viewers and listeners and whatever else that we get, which means we have a broader audience to spread the word on Irish theatre too. So do please go over and leave us a review on iTunes. Of course, you can follow us, Rise Productions, on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. So we are going to start off the podcast this week with a special announcement from a very special man, the original renegade and badass of Irish theatre, Mr. Episode 14, Carl Shields, has been working away behind the scenes on some very exciting projects recently, and uh, and he has a very special announcement. So live via, well, I guess my portable flash recorder, uh, from the top corridor of the Abbey Theatre as we took a moment's break for rehearsals for the house, here he is, Mr. Episode 14, Carl Shields. <laughs> 
Well, here we are on the top corridor of the Abbey Theatre for a special announcement from theatre's original bad boy, the one and only former guest on the podcast, Mr. Carl Shields. Hi, how you doing once again, my friend? How are you? Awesome. Tell us, you have a little bit of an announcement for us. Yeah, it's just to say that Theatre Upstairs is now back again. Um, we hope to open sometime in June. And we've got a new home, which is Theatre Upstairs at Lanigan's which is uh, on Eden Quay. And uh, this is sort of like a call to arms, really, for anybody out there with uh, writers, directors, or actors with ideas, something that they'd like to try, something that they thought that they'd never be able to do, but now we're trying to create a hub, a place, a safe environment where we can try and we can fail. Um, And uh, so please come and talk to us. Um, You can reach me at uh, theatreupstairs at gmail.com but whatever ideas you have, whatever plays that you've had there that you wanted to maybe try and do, or any idea maybe that you wanted to try something, just to try, uh, we're creating that environment for you to do. So there you go. And in particular, are you looking possibly for actors looking to direct for the first time, or directors looking to write for the first time, or possibly people jumping genres? Exactly. All of the above. Why not? Excellent stuff. Well, it seems like there's going to be some many exciting improvements and movements over there over the coming weeks and months, and uh, we're all very much looking forward to it. Thanks very much. So there you have it. Very interesting announcements from all at Theatre Upstairs from their new home at Lanigan's. Uh, it's a development I'm really excited about uh, and, and I'm hugely encouraged by. Um, for any of us out there who are trying to make our own work at the moment, we know how difficult it is to get things done, uh, particularly in Dublin, where, where getting access to spaces is so tight and so costly. And I think this is going to be a really... Uh, brilliant opportunity for many people who've been talking for a long time about trying to make their own work. It'll it'll make that uh, accessible to them. It'll open up that avenue to them to making their own work. And I'm particularly intrigued by this kind of slight slant that they're looking at. Now, not exclusively, but that they are looking for people who maybe are actors who are looking to write for the first time, or directors who are looking to write for the first time, or you know, actors looking to direct, or maybe just people just jumping across from different disciplines. So uh, I think there's going to be some really really interesting work going on over there in the coming weeks and months, and uh, certainly from any of the plans that I've heard from Carl uh, there's some pretty stellar people lined up it's going to be a really nice place and it's one of those things if you have a show kind of in the back of your head that you've been toying with for a little while there's such a nice vibe about that place and such a great kind of swell of support and goodwill towards Carl and the gang who've been running it over the last little while through all their trials and tribulations that you would have heard about in Carl's interview here on the podcast um, that I think there's just such a massive warmth toward this whole endeavour that uh, if you can have a show uh, ready to rock and roll and put it on in there I think you are are very likely to get it very well supported so it's a really interesting prospect for people so I'd encourage anyone uh, if you're half an idea just get in touch with Carl see what the story is so that brings us to this week's guest and uh, this is a funny one for me because uh, myself and this guest go back an awful long time it's the brilliant Andrea Ainsworth um, who's voice coach at the Abbey um, who was also my voice coach when I was training in Trinity all those years ago myself and Andrea go back to 99 would have been when I first met her um, and just such a great person to be around, so influential in in my work, and I know from most of the gang that would have come through Trinity, we would we would ascribe a lot of our um, technique and discipline and, and success in many respects to the work that we would have done with Andrea. Um, just such a great a great mind for theatre, um, and an absolute diamond to work with. Uh, again, as usual, I'm not going to wrap it on too much here at the start. I'm going to let it get straight into the interview. Here she is, the wonderful Andrea Ainsworth. <laughs> The wonderful Andrea Ainsworth, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. This is a magical moment for me. Um, So, let us begin, as we do every week, with the same old question. How and why and when did it occur to you that a career in theatre might be for you? 
Um, well, I, uh, yeah, I suppose I, I, I wasn't one of those people that always wanted to be in theatre. Um, I guess I was, uh, I was at university, I was studying languages, and I, but I, I really wanted to take a theatre class, a, an acting class, and so I did, and I was in, I suppose I was in my second year when I did that, and I, I guess I fell in love with the idea of acting and decided from there on that I, that's what I wanted to do. And university-wise, this wouldn't have been here in Ireland. This was far, far away yeah. in, uh, in the continent of North America in Canada. It was, yeah. It Whereabouts was in, in Canada? In Vancouver on the West Coast. Right, okay. What kind of a place is Vancouver? Well, I mean, now it's quite a big city. I mean, then it was much smaller. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a city on the West Coast. It's a beautiful city with uh, mountains and beaches, and it's a, it's a lovely place. Not to be confused with Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the place I have to go and visit at some point because it's the home of Bret Hart, the great wrestler. <laughs> uh, so, so this acting class comes along, uh, sparks off a love. What then was the next step for you? Did you finish out your languages degree? I didn't, no. Possibly I should have. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. I, um, then I decided that I wanted to go to drama school to, to train as an actor. And I started off uh, my training at a at a studio which was also in Vancouver and I studied um, corporeal mime with a right. man who'd just come back from working with Decru in Paris and also acting with a woman uh, who had uh, just sort of come from come from New York. So I did two sort of studies for about a year I suppose at this studio, maybe more than that. Um, and then I was auditioning for drama schools and I auditioned for drama schools in England and I got into one and then went over to train over there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was also one of these people that didn't get into drama school the first time around. Right, I okay. auditions and I didn't get in and, you know, wept alone in my room <laughs> and, uh, and you know, finally did. And, um, yeah, as this happens to a lot of people. Well, that's, it's an interesting thing. I remember talking to Brian Burroughs about it, oh, who yes. came and auditioned for you, as it turned out, I yes. guess, at that stage, and, and got the shout of, no, not yet, go and live a little and yeah. come back. Um, and I presume that, having been on both sides of that news, having had to receive it and to, to give it to people, what is that like? Because presumably it is with the best interest of that person at heart, going, you, you, you're right, but you're just not right yet. Is, is that what the, the message behind it is? Well, I think so. I mean, I think sometimes when you're sitting on an audition panel, you realise that people would be more able for it if they waited a year or two. Mm. Um, you know, they would, they would be older. They, you know, training can be quite rigorous and quite a strain. And sometimes people, when they're 17, 18, are not ready. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I was, although I was a little bit older, but I don't think I would have accepted me if at that stage either. Right. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, I mean, I think when you sit on on audition panels as I did for many years, you know, I mean, you and you've only got that day and you've only got that time with those people, so you're making the best decisions you can make at the time. And wow. it, it often is better for people to be just that little bit older when they start. Their training. So your time doing that studio work was that on a was that a full time basis an ad hoc evening class kind of thing was it a mix of all of the above? Mm, yeah, it wasn't full time. It was kind of daytimes and evenings. It was fairly intense, um, but but I guess I guess it was yeah it was part time. Um, but you know I I still remember things that I did. 
I still remember revelations and discoveries and exercises. I suppose because I've stayed in the same field, so sure. I remember things that, that we did. Um, yeah, it was very um, formative. And so the decision then to go and train officially uh, full-time in drama school, talk to me about the decision. Was there an opportunity to stay within either Vancouver or Canada generally, or did you just feel that if you were going to go and do it, that the UK was the place to go and do it? Well, I don't know. Um, I think I, I think I wanted to get away. I think I wanted to live somewhere else. Um, I don't know that necessarily it was better. It was different. Okay. Do you know... Um, yeah, and I suppose I'd always wanted to be away, to be somewhere else. So, talk us to us about then about going and, and, and going to drama school. Where did you go? And what was it like? Well, I went. I went to London, uh, which was great, which I loved. Um, you know, it seemed it was a big city. It was yeah. wonderful. It was full of fantastic theatre. I felt like it was the first time I'd seen real acting. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, going to plays and seeing people like. Anthony Hopkins and Vanessa Redgrave and Glenda Jackson performing. It was very exciting and Derek Jacobi, people like that. I mean, it was wonderful. I went to the theatre all the time when I was there. And um, yeah, it was, it was great. And it was, I, I remember seeing a lot of shows at the Royal Court. It was in the 80s and saw some fantastic productions. Um, all the Carol Churchill plays. Um, which was a yeah it felt like a, it felt like a very exciting time how important is it for theater practitioners generally and specifically for people training how important is it to go and see as much theater as is humanly possible for them well i know theater is expensive but I, I think it is really important to see um i guess because a lot of people would have mainly film references and i think going to theater you get a sense of something of the energy that's required um, you can see yeah you can, and, and you know you have the opportunity to see very very good acting yeah I would say that, that people should go as much as they as much as they possibly can so that time in London then an exciting time talk to me a bit about the training how it might have differed from the work that was going on back in Canada and also what it might have given you in terms of taking forward into your own career teaching in you know in later years well, um, I guess the training that I did in, at the Actors' Workshop in, in, in Canada was very much... I was doing both a very intense method training right. and also a movement training, which are sort of, you know, in some ways, two very opposite uh, things. And when I went to England, I did a much more traditional training. I mean, it was a Stanislavski-based training, but very much, I suppose, more text-based. But I, I found the combination of things useful. Um, and 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 interesting. Um, and we also had when I was at, at drama school a very very good movement teacher. Um, and I've always you know I've always loved movement work and you know even now still I I you know recently did um, an eighteen month course in Feldenkrais. Wow. You know which I find very complementary to the voice work. How important is it to from a practitioner's point of view to integrate? those two disciplines because people can kind of feel well either you're a physical actor who does all that movement kind of stuff or you're an emotional intelligent actor who uses the voice and it's, and it's I mean how important is it to integrate the physicality and the muscularity into the kind of vocal exercises and work you might be doing well I suppose I would you know think that um, you know you want you know the body the body needs to be alive 
the body needs to be flexible. If you're holding unnecessary tension in different parts of your body, as you well know, yes, indeed. being an actor, um, it will get in the way of a freer, fuller expression with your voice. So there's a level of physical awareness and flexibility that is very important for actors. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think that's... I think that's the case. I mean, I do think that there is a kind of a, a very a sort of false division between physical actors and straight actors, yeah. or however you want to put it. Um, and I guess you know, it's it's very important for all actors to have a kind of physical flexibility because it, you know, it means the breath is more alive. It means that you can have greater ease, uh, which is what people need. Mm. You know, um, greater ease on stage. It's connect, connects up to presence. And, and very much to lightness of touch. Yeah, yeah, which is a huge help. Yeah. Um, so, talk to me then about the time, the transition then from drama school, when you finished up there, was the intention then to go and uh, work as an actor full-time then after that? What was, what was the plan and, yeah, and what, I mean, what was the journey it, after yes, that? Yes, my, my desire was, was yeah, to, 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 to act. And, you know, and I did, you know, I mean, I did some. I mean, like a, like a lot of actors, I was employed and... You know, and unemployed, as a lot of as a lot of actors. And I, yeah, I used to do. I did a lot of, I did a lot of readings. I did you know, some small scale tours, um, and and I guess I found, uh, you know, I was I was, I felt I I got to a certain point where I wanted to retrain. Right. Okay. Retrain. I wanted to do something which was complementary. Um, and so I investigated ways of doing this and I decided I would go apply to and go to Central. Right. Uh, Central School of Speech and Drama, which has a voice course. It's been running, I don't know, more than 20 years. I mean, because I did it 20 years ago, so right. um, it would have maybe 25 years. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, which is a one-year postgraduate course um, in, in voice. Okay. So I did that. And was that with a view to just furthering your own training or was it with a view to possibly, you know, branching out into, into voice coaching, voice training as yeah, well? Yeah, it was very much to kind of, you know, something which, which was leading people towards teaching voice and sure. coaching and things like that. Yeah, so we covered, you know, all aspects of voice work over the course of that year. And then talk to me about the transition from that time post uh, voice training then specifically to finding your way over here to Dublin and uh, and ultimately to Trinity College. Yes, well, um, when I finished uh, my training, I, I started to teach. I had two jobs in drama schools, so I was teaching. I was teaching full time, and um, one of the people that I was teaching with, a, an acting teacher whose name Peter McAllister, was, which on this podcast is a name that kind of carries the weight yeah. of. I don't know, whatever, it's an amazing guy. Yeah, no, really a, a wonderful acting teacher. And um, and Peter had uh, just got a job to run the acting course at Trinity. And um, so I, I knew about it, and I knew that there might be a job coming up at the Abbey as well. So it was, a, it was very much a job that combined teaching at Trinity with working here at the Abbey. So, um, and I applied for that, you know, Peter told me when it had come up and I applied for it and 
I got it. And so, I mean, because at that stage, there was a connection between that acting course in the Trinity, in Trinity with the theatre here. There was, was it, how formal was that connection? Uh, we well, know? that's a good question. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I think it was formal and informal. Um, I think there was always a support, and certainly very much from, from Patrick Mason, uh, of training. Yes. You know, and uh, so that's why the job was to also, you know, to, to teach. And, and I very much like that, that combination of work. You know, I really like that work with the students and also the work here. I found that was a very good um, balance for me. Did the two feed into each other then? I mean, in terms of, you know, working here with, you know, big large-scale productions and professional actors and then taking it back to the, the yeah. graduate training? Well, I think you've got a different contract when you work with students because, you're, you know, you're with them for three years. Um, it's very developmental. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it really, yeah, it really is about about building up a craft, building up technique, and you're very and because it was such a small course and we had so few students. Yeah. I mean, it was very. You know, you really minded people through their their three years, which again suited me very well. I was very happy to yeah. to work on a course with 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 so few actors really and so would you have been there around the time that it was developing from the old two-year diploma into the three-year degree and were you and Peter McAllister and the rest of the team kind of how much how much how heavily were you involved in shaping that transition from the two-year to the three-year um well we would have developed that course you know we would we would have uh, I would have certainly contributed to a new course document moving from the diploma to the degree and, and, you know, we wanted, uh, I suppose, you know, we thought that three years was much better than two, um, and which I, th- which I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and also it became, it became a degree as well, which I think is good. It meant that the, the funding was available for students, yeah. you know. Um, but we had some, you know, we had some very good people in the diploma before it became a degree, people who work a lot now, I mean... Ali Walsh was in yeah, Pauline true. Hutton, probably many others. I'm going to forget to mention. <laughs> that's always the danger. We start listing off names. You know, you start listing names. You're always going to forget somebody. And it seems that throughout that time of training at Trinity, that, uh, like you say, because maybe with you know the the three years that it was that that fuller shift, that it seems that for quite a period of time, they were turning out pretty exceptional performers at Trinity. I mean, what what was what was your experience like working with those students coming right the way through? Well, I enjoy. I mean, it, I think training is difficult, and I think people go, people really go through peaks and troughs in a training. And some people, I think, find it incredibly difficult. That you know, they, you know, they might have come from being the stars in their youth theatre or the stars at school. I don't know and, who you could possibly be referring to in any of this conversation. <laughs> but suddenly, you know, you reach Trinity, and 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 suddenly, it's it's very difficult. It's mm. very challenging. You don't always know what is being demanded of you, um, and uh, I mean, I guess the thing that I I think I've been very very lucky because I've been able to work with a lot of people that I taught professionally. Yeah, that's very true, actually. But there's been, been quite a continuity through there. Yeah, which has been absolutely great. You know, I've really really enjoyed that because it's a chance. You know, because I suppose you have a shorthand. People know the work. You have already a bond, already a good relationship, and um, 
It just means that you can tell. I mean, it's kind of as it should be. Yeah. Although, of course, it's important for students to have a bit of distance <laughs> from their from their teachers as well. You know. Well, equally, I mean, because I, I remember, obviously, you know, we go back at this stage, I don't know, however, however many years, but that thing, that transition of in the early days of our time at Trinity, that there was kind of a, a healthy respect and distance maintained between the staff and the students. Um, because there was a job of work at hand that we were kind of rigorous on and we had to go through that. And then it was only as we moved towards perhaps even that third year that kind of some of those not defences came down, but do you know what I mean? That, that, that those, those relationships were relaxed a little bit and we kind of, that we kind of became, I, I don't know what you, how you describe it, but, then, so that, but that we kind of provided the groundwork for that relationship to evolve as it has done through working professionally as it yeah. went on. I mean, is that, is that an important thing to maintain in those early days, that you can't be their best friend and their acting coach or voice coach at the same time? Well, I don't think you can be. I mean, yeah. that, and I can only speak for myself, I... Uh, I guess I think it's important to to have space. Yeah. Do you know, because sometimes you have to tell people things they might not want to hear. And you have to have an objective eye on their work. Uh, so that that kind of objective space, and also giving people their own space, and their own space not to like you. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's really important, you know? Because you can't always be in a, in a happy, clappy relationship, you know? Sometimes things are tense or difficult or... You know, it is a working relationship, and that doesn't mean it can't be warm and friendly, but it is ultimately a, a professional relationship. And what happens after people leave is something else. Yeah. So then, talk to me about. I mean, that, obviously, that's a, a kind of a, a ballpark of the kind of vocal work you'd be doing with students in training and stuff. But then, talk to me more specifically about the kind of work and your kind of role here at the Abbey Theatre, our National Theatre, and, and how that collaboration works with actors and directors on specific shows. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I've been at the Abbey for 16 years, wow. which, is a, which is a long time. I mean, you know, I never anticipated or necessarily expected to find myself still here. Um, and I guess, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of different directors. Um, I mean, in the you know, the pattern of work shifts slightly from show to show and from director to director, depending on what they want and what the company needs. Um, you know, I do a lot of individual work. I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with actors. And I suppose it's, it's all about opening up possibilities, really, choices. I mean, I like to spend time in the rehearsal room so that I, I get a good feel for... Um, what's going on in the rehearsal room, what's been said, the kinds of things that are being addressed, how a director is talking about the world of the play, sure. what kinds of things he or she is saying to the actors, so that when I work individually with the actors, I'm really looking you know, to, to feed in and to further some of that kind of work. And sometimes it's just about, it's about opening up more possibilities for somebody in the voice. Um, you know, and people, you know, sometimes people don't do theatre for several months, and and it's just a, it's a it's a question of kind of getting the voice tuned up again, really. Yeah. Um, you know, making it again, making it flexible, finding the breath, um, just opening up the range. You know, because the more open your voice is, the freer your voice is, the freer you are, the freer you are to express, the less you feel the need to force, to push, to strain. Um, and I think it frees up your thinking as well. Yeah. Well, in many respects then, is 
is your work here at the Abbey, is it that's kind of a, a complementary collaborative relationship in the way that a set designer or a lighting designer is working with a director's overall vision for something and kind of integrating in with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there are specialists who, you know, I mean, certainly in opera you get yeah. singing coaches, you get people who work with the actors, with the performers. And um, so it's very much about, about you know, th- that relationship with the director and those relationships with the actors. And you really are working with the, the performer. So you are dealing with the voice, the voice in performance. Um, but it's different, but, but it's not directing. Right, you know, okay, but yeah. you are, But you are, you know, often we do work on text and what are the demands of the text. I suppose sensitising people to the rhythms of a text. Um, I suppose it's, you know, you can, you can be an outside ear in terms of an awareness of, of rhythm, of the score of a text. Um, it's those, those sorts of things. Which sure. Are, um, but it really is, it really is about, about opening up. Opening up possibilities, opening up choices, I suppose. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned scores and rhythms and stuff. There's no way I can have a conversation with you that doesn't touch on a certain Mr. William Shakespeare. Um, because we would have done a huge amount of work on Shakespearean texts when, when yeah. we worked together at Trinity. How good a writer is William Shakespeare? <laughs> uh, and what are the particular challenges and joys of working on his stuff that you particularly enjoy? Well, I guess, like many people, I mean, Shakespeare, it's the fantastic language and imagery and the fact that it's so robust and muscular and and challenging. So you're dealing with the, the structure and the content. Um, and it's a fantastic for, for actors to get their teeth into. Yeah. Um, because you are having to manage sense and structure and it's and and often people who haven't enjoyed Shakespeare in school as soon as they start to work practically on it I think most people fall in love with it well yeah I mean the thing I always maintain about it and I don't know if you'd agree but I always say that it is simultaneously the easiest and most difficult of texts to work on because I, I say it's easy in that the entire roadmap is there for you on the page so much of the the clues that you need to go and attack it and unlock it and, and kind of the shape through it is there for you on the page. The difficulty is just rising to that challenge, just kind of stepping up and meeting it. Um, is that any, anything you might share? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think there's an awful lot of work that you can do on it technically in terms of, in terms of the, you know, the verse work and the, and, the, and the work on sound and a generosity and a muscularity that you need to have to speak that text. And then really, you need to act it. Yeah. Because you can't play any of those things. Yes. You need to play the scene. Um, but it need you know, you need, you know, you need to be able to use that yeah. score. So as you look back on, as you say, 16 years here at the Abbey, uh, are there moments that stand out for you? Are there particular productions that were that were particularly enjoyable? Uh, overall, what's it been like? Mm. Well, I do remember the very first play I ever worked on uh, here, uh, which Patrick Mason was directing, um, which was Sebastian Barry's One True History of Lizzie Finn. Right. Which had uh, the wonderful Eamon Kelly. Right. 
in it. Um, and, you know, the Abbey, is, it's a much better space since the renovation of the theatre. Um, but I remember that first time when we were in the theatre, I guess it was the first dress rehearsal, and um, Eamon was very far upstage, and his voice was just extraordinary. It right. was like a bell. And he must have been in his late 70s. Wow. Even then. And it was just so beautiful and so light and so clear. Wow. I was just amazed. I thought it was just fantastic. And like you say, that old Abbey space wasn't the most forgiving of spaces for, for actors vocally. No, I mean, it was terrible under the balcony and it was very wide. And, and certainly, you know... Um, that renovation has made has made a big difference. I think you know also be, the physical relationship between the actor and the audience. Yeah, it's a much better. Well, I imagine anyway, it's a much better space to play. Well, I mean, well, there isn't a bad seat in the house. I mean, it does no. it does feel no, infinitely more intimate than its size would suggest. You yeah, know? it's because it's a big house. But I, I mean, I think I think people do feel very connected to the stage and what's going on. Oh yeah, I think it's a much better um, experience for the audience. I think it's a much better uh, experience for the actors. Yeah. to play in that space as it is now um, but yes I do remember I mean I do remember I suppose you always remember the first show you work on as sure. well, because everything is new um, are there moments where it has been brilliant and you've just gone that's all elements have, have come together and created a moment of magic or have there been moments when you've been tearing your hair out as well <laughs> I mean, well I have to say I do remember when we were rehearsing for um the Wake. Yes. Another Tom Murphy play. I suppose I'm um, thinking very much of, of Tom Murphy plays now that we're in rehearsals for the house. But I remember there's a scene, uh, there's a scene where they, where, where they sing. And, I mean, subsequently they had to cut it down. But the first time it was ever run. And it was wonderful because it just went on and on and on. And it was like a real evening. And people sang, and then there was another song, and another <laughs> song, and another song. And I always think how wonderful it was to have seen that scene in its full glory. And of course, given the length of the play and everything else, it needed to be it needed to be trimmed in what, sure. was, a, what was a kind of a long evening. But it was, but it was, and I always, but I'll always remember the time when I saw <laughs> the full thing, you know. And it was that was great. Well, you've now mentioned Mr. Murphy, so we have to mention him too. Um, arguably one of our greatest writers, arguably one of the best writers in the English language. Um, you've worked on quite a few of his plays here, and now we're obviously we're, we're, we're in prep for The House, which is coming up later this yeah. year. But talk to me about his work, maybe specifically in The House, but in general, the work of Tom Murphy. What, what's it like for you, in the way that you talked about kind of getting into the muscularity of the Shakespearean language, what's it like, what are the particular challenges that you would tackle with a, a Tom Murphy play? Well, I think um, Tom is very clear about his structure. He's very clear about his full stops, about his dashes, about his three dots, yeah, about the score and about the rhythm. He's also very uh, clear, often very, uh, where he wants the voice to sit. I know when we were working on Reluctant Tyrant, he was he wanted someone to drop from drop uh, one of the women to drop into a, into a much more bass tone. Right. Okay. And one of the, the the young women to do that, and it's very you know it's always very interesting. I think he thinks about the work very musically. He obviously hears it. 
Um, he gives you know very good, clear notes as to as to how he how he wants it done. Uh, yeah, and it's a it's a huge challenge. It's hugely important to follow those directions that he has, and also I think he it seems to me anyway. Um, that his work really requires a kind of um, vocal fullness and generosity. Um, I don't mean volume, I don't mean loudness, yeah. but I mean it really does. You need to be full. You need to have a full, you know, the voice needs to be full. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think the musicality issue is an interesting one because you see, like you say, you talk about that, that scene with, the, you know, in the wake when they just went on and on singing and singing. And obviously, with plays like the Julie concert and stuff like that, that there is, that he has such a deep musical understanding yes. of of a text like that, and that he has set down that score, like you talk about when is three dots, three dots, and not a dash. When is a dash, a dash, and not a full stop? All those mm-hmm. kind of questions. That it seems that he, like you say, his ear, the way he writes, is with a very musical sensibility, and it's about you know going going and meeting that. Yeah, and I think I guess I think it's important when whenever you talk about musicality. That that doesn't mean a kind of that we overlay the voice, you know. We make a voice musical. We make a voice kind of beautiful. Yeah. But I mean, I think it is important, you know, because otherwise, you talk about musicality in the voice, and 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 people immediately think it's something to do with an older style of voice, beautiful. Yes. Acting. I know what you mean. As a, as opposed to a kind of rigor, and the voice doesn't always have to be beautiful, you know. But I think it's, I don't know, I guess I feel in, in a lot of Tom Murphy's work that there's a real, there's a real rigour and that, that the punctuation, requ- you know, using that punctuation really requires a, a certain muscularity when you have one-word sentences, which are one-word thoughts and need to be played as such. You know, full stops are full stops, they're not commas. Mm. And so you would have worked on the original production of this play... 12 years ago now. I did, I did. What is it like for you coming back and revisiting a show like this when so much of the, you know, thematically so much of the show is about these men coming back and revisiting their homeland? What's it like for you to come back to the show 12 years later? Well, it's always interesting to, to come back to something and 12 years is a very long time between productions. Yeah. Um, and I did find, you know, some of my notes that I'd made in the original, which are very close to some of my notes from, <laughs> from this one. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's another chance and it's another director's eye on the piece and a new, and a new group of actors. So um, it, feels very, it feels very fresh to me. And, and it's a great, I think it's a great opportunity to revisit this as a piece. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's, uh, as I've said numerous times now, before I had ever any connection to this show, I was looking at the cast list going, that is one of the most exceptional Irish casts assembled in long and many a day. And I'm now delighted and thrilled to be a part of it. It kind of feels like all my birthdays coming at once. Mm. It's uh, not an exceptional group. Well, that's us. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for having the chat with us. I really enjoyed it. It's lovely just to get to sit down and hang out with you again for half an hour. <laughs> okay. Good. So there you have it, the wonderful Andrea Ainsworth, someone I'm just such a huge fan of and such an important cog in the overall machine at the Abbey Theatre there. I mean, Andrea's work uh, in the voice department there is one of those things that often maybe isn't seen. It's not as high profile as uh, as other parts of, of the overall machine that goes into making the theatre, but such it's such a vital part. Uh, and I really do feel it is one of those kind of complementary collaborative disciplines like lighting design or set design or costume where it's this whole team coming together 
together to create the overall piece that we eventually then go on to present to the public. And uh, and Andrew's role in that is just so insightful at times, such a such a great presence to have in any rehearsal room, and just just so adept at unlocking moments of script and text that I I just find her absolutely invaluable. Uh, I'm a massive fan and absolutely delighted to be getting the opportunity to work with her again on this production of The House. Uh, just absolutely delighted. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around the country as we look to, of course, the Abbey Theatre. The final few performances of Alice in Funderland are happening this week. If you don't have a ticket by now, you would be very lucky to get your hands on one. This bad boy is sold out to bejesus. I think there may be one or two kind of single tickets floating around for one or two performances, or you could chance your arm for returns on the door. Um, it's been an amazing show, an amazing success for them. Uh, chance your arm, if possible, trying to get your hands on a ticket, but if you're going to do it, do it very quickly. Um, Greener is running at the Gaiety with the brilliant Declan Condon and Lorcan Cranich, who, of course, I'm currently hanging out with on the house. Um, at Project Rough Magic's The Housekeeper by the brilliant Morna Regan, starring the equally amazing Kathy Belton, who's also with us on the house, uh, is running there at the moment. And also they have uh, My Best Friend Drowned in a Swimming Pool will also be playing at Project. Uh, Love All, that great show from Bewley's earlier on this year, is at Driacht in Blanche, and it looks like it'll be subsequently touring pretty extensively around the country. So do keep an eye out for that if you're uh, outside of Dublin. Um, at the Viking Theatre at the Sheds, they have that amazing production of Hollywood Valhalla, which is still going strong, and I'm delighted to see it. The Gate has My Cousin Rachel with the brilliant Bosco Hogan, who is also hanging out with us on the house at the moment. It's a, like I said before, it's a real who's who of what's going on in Irish theatre at the moment. Um, at the new theatre, Love in the Title by the great Hugh Leonard is kicking off there very soon. Also going on at the moment is the International Dublin Gay Theatre Festival, um, which has, of course, far too many shows for me to mention individually here, but you can get all the information on that at gaytheatre.ie. Uh, at Smock Alley, they have Racket, and that is going to be followed by She Stoops to Conquer, which will be the first show from the new Smock Alley players, which I think is a pretty interesting development there. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how that's all going to shake out. And uh, also at Bewley's Cafe Theatre in their lunchtime slot, they have a Galway girl with uh, the absolutely stunning Claire Barrett and the brilliant Joe Hanley. Um, and initial responses from that have been absolutely amazing. I'm hearing only spectacular things about that show, and I believe it's doing very good business. So again, if you're looking to go, maybe try booking in advance for that one. As we move around the country then, down to Cork, the Everyman Palace has that production of 1981 going on. Um, Des Kyo is still on the road around the country with um, The Love Hungry Farmer by the great John B. Keane. That's one is definitely worth uh, checking out if you get a chance to check your local theatre, see if it's coming to your area. And uh, Fish Amble still have two shows on the road. Sonia Kelly's Show in a Bag show, The Wheelchair on My Face, and Pat Ginnivan's Silent, which is of course about to go into the Abbey. Um, for details on all their different venues, and they are touring pretty extensively, so they, they probably will be coming near you wherever you are. Um, you can get details on that, uh, both those tours, at fishamble.com. Uh, and also as part of the Bialtana Festival, uh, Translunar Paradise is touring as well at the moment. Um, information on that and all their locations is at bialtana.com. So look, that is episode 27 in the books. We will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>